This is Flyperbole with Steve Jacot and Craig Forsyth. Two guys hoping that the NHL does the right thing and makes Steve Coates the official and only on-ice reporter for all of the games during the playoffs this year. Coatsy! Craig, I have to say, the number one thing we've had in our mentions for about the past week or so involves a, a subject that is not unfamiliar to this podcast. Uh, in fact, something that is extremely familiar to this podcast. And our mentions oh, yeah. have been filled with Guy Fieri, Fieri, however it's pronounced, the the magical cooking man with his frosted tips and <laughs> extreme sunglasses has been in our mentions for the past week. Yes, he's... Uh... He first of all, he's a yeah, his staple on the show. He's probably the thing we talk about most behind the Flyers or the Bachelor slash Bachelorette, I guess. But uh, he's been a apparently he might uh, have a town named after him, Steve. I'm pretty pumped about it. I uh, I mean, people. I mean, the people want it. It sounds like we got at least I think ten mentions. People ten. want so I think the petition is for a city in Ohio to be named Flavor Town. <laughs> Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Columbus, Ohio, they, specifically. They, so. they want to change it. Uh, Tyler Woodbridge. I'll go through the. Uh, I'll read through the little thing I saw from. I got this from Penn Live, written by Janet Krascheck. Uh Apparently, Tyler Woodbridge. She lived in Columbus for seven years. Thirty-two year old. It started tradition to get the name of the city changed from Columbus to Flavortown, Ohio. And apparently. Uh, as of Wednesday afternoon, the petition had over seventy-five thousand signatures. So, oh, wow. yeah, I'm about it. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll visit if they change it to Flavortown, Ohio. Might see if there's a way I can get out there to go take in the beautiful sights and sounds of former Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> so I don't know what that would be, but we'll, we'll find out. Uh, and also, I did see too that uh, apparently Bud Light tweeted something about how it. Uh, they did end up changing the name that Bud Light sells there for all of Flavor Town if this happens. So it is, there's something for you to do, Ohio. Uh, you know, a couple months in the quarantine, but you can. Uh, can I get some the Flavor Town? Can I get the Flavor Town without the Bud Light seltzer? Like, can <laughs> just I just get, get part of that deal? Because I, I think I'm good on As the Bud Light coupon seltzer. for later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a favor for later coupon for Bud Light. Uh, yeah, a, we could just do a that. favor to be named later. Yes. <laughs> I want to say this, though, Steve. I, I, we need this. As a country, as a, as people of this great earth, uh, I think what we need Guy Fieri, um, first and foremost, and he's shown that during the coronavirus pandemic. And I think, uh, and I think he needs to be honored in some way. And uh, I don't say statues. I say we, put, we name a town, town after him. And uh, look, I, we can change the name. Of a town in Ohio, you know, people aren't going to miss it that much. The Flavor Town Blue Jackets. Every time the players want to go and play for the Flavor Town Blue Jackets, or whatever the MLS team's name is, or I think you just keep it as the Flavor Town Blue Jackets. Like it's it's perfectly fine. I say you go Flavor Town Triple D's. If they, I don't even want to. You know what? I don't even want to get in that rabbit hole. If, you know, Guy Fieri actually does become mayor of Flavor Town, Ohio. That's a whole thing. Mayor for life. 
<laughs> mayor for life. <laughs> all and all of his mayor work is just uh, instead of actually signing bills or passing legislation, it's just him walking into a room where he's supposed to sign papers, and he's just like, "That's a good law. That's a good bill. I like what you do with this law over here." And he just doesn't actually. There's no critiquing or uh, telling people if it's actually good or not. It's just him going, "Yeah, this is a good fucking bill. This is a good bill right here." So that's got holy moly, that's a good bill. My God. <laughs> And he just shows up to every event with like a shirt with flames on it, his sunglasses. Like he doesn't wear a suit to any of these. It is just Guy Fieri going to be Guy Fieri. I, I hope, like, I hope he, he they name it Flavortown, Ohio, becomes mayor of Flavortown, and then just each day when he goes downtown, uh, you know, to handle business in the inner city of Columbus, he's like, "We're in downtown Columbus, Ohio today, here to work on being the mayor of Flavortown." That's just every single day he does that. Towards it and puts it out as a as an app on uh, Food Network. Yeah, Food Network. That's what that show is. Yeah. Sure. I don't think I've actually. Yeah, sure. I don't think I've actually watched uh, that show in a minute. Slash seen it, but I know he's out there. I know not every it. food show is on the Food Network, but I kind of make this assumption that every food show is on the Food Network. <laughs> I was trying to think if it was A and E or Food Network, but I'm pretty sure it is. I think it's Food Network. I'm not sure though, but who? I mean, honestly, we, we all know. But it's a, one way or another, you're gonna find family problems and facts, and you're gonna, you're gonna get some guys getting that sense. You always yeah. find it when you're in a hotel room, every time. <laughs> oh, absolutely, without fail. <laughs> because yeah, like cause... one of the most reliable things to watch in a hotel room is the Food Network, because you'll either have chopped uh, driver, di- di- yeah. Diners, drive-ins, and diets. Triple D is much easier to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's always a tongue twister to me every time. Uh, I think it's it's like diners and dives should be next to each other, but then they throw in the drive. Um, like I think of the drive-in part kind of messes with everybody. It, yeah, that's one hundred percent what happens. I'm in favor of this though, and I would say rename Pittsburgh to Donkey Sauce, Pennsylvania. But frankly, Ooh. Pittsburgh's a pretty shitty name already, so they they can be stuck with that. Uh, if we want to do, um, if we want to pull back from an old hyperbole joke, uh, considering that, I guess there's a chance Columbus and Pittsburgh could actually be rivals if, like, Blue Jacks were good at any point in time. Uh, you could make Bobby Flay the uh, in charge of Pittsburgh, and then you could let him run Pittsburgh and fail at everything because he's only good at beat Bobby Flay cooking. So he's gonna he'll become mayor of Pittsburgh and then just run into a guy. <laughs> And that's yeah. How you, uh, well, honestly, <laughs> that's that's how you should do elections from now on. You just have to beat Bobby Flay. That, I think, a lot more people would be interested in politics if you did that. If Bobby Flay went up against everybody that's trying to run for office, that would be a hell of a. I mean, Bobby Flay would be exhausted. I think he would go years without sleeping. But why have a debate I mean, when you just see who can cook a better cheesesteak on the fly? <laughs> <laughs> they really. Everything should just be a cooking show. The it's presidential so kind of- debates just like. Like Biden challenges Trump to cooking something, and that's both <laughs> fail spectacularly, and there is no president. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just all these ingredients that they cook up a dinner in half an hour, and they don't even get close. Biden, <laughs> like they haven't touched half the ingredients. <laughs> Biden, I challenge you to make macaroni and cheese, and then both of those idiots are just, uh they're just fumbling around in the kitchen trying to figure out exactly how much milk they should put into Kraft macaroni and cheese, and just, it, it doesn't end well. Trump would say he he created, like, half the ingredients up there and be like, 
chocolate and asparagus. It would be like some like random shit that obviously he didn't invent, but he would pass it off. And then, and then uh, Biden would just kind of forget what he was cooking halfway through. I think that's, that was so you nailed okay. it. <laughs> I think that's, that's what it would look like. That's and perfect. Then, uh, and then, you know, the next day, we're like, all right, so one of these two, that's it. This is what we got. Make a choice. But somehow that's Trump it. burnt down the entire test kitchen, so it's an obvious choice. But let's not get into politics here, guys. No, real let's quick, not. one political thing, real quick. If we, we're in June. This is June, right? I don't know anymore. This is June. I'm uh, looking at the guy. calendar. Yes, it is barely June. It's almost. We're the end putting of June. a new guy. Put a new guy in there in November. Apparently, Fieri's already got Columbus. You keep tripping away at this. He might have Ohio by the end of June, and then next week, by the way. Uh, and then I, let's see how many states he can get. Are you calling for a Fietti Flay 2020 and the winner of a cook-off oh, no, no, no. gets the presidency and the loser gets oh. the vice presidency? Okay, a cook-off, yeah. I was going to say, I don't want Bobby Flay anywhere near this, but Fietti against Flay in a cook-off, yeah, I'll tell you. I, I want him involved then because, you know, God, Fietti's going to come in on top. I mean, he's got, <laughs> he's got all the experience, so let him this be This is, the... of course, how the leaders of, of <laughs> countries should be determined. But why not just I use mean... the shootout while we're at it? <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't, you know, just saying, you know, the last measure got us here. So if we wanted to spice it up, I think now would be the time to you know, see where we got going. But just, just spitballing here. I, I will say if uh, Guy Fieri does end up getting a town named after him, I think uh, I might have to go out there and check it out. I don't think it's going to happen. I want it to happen. I've never wanted anything more in my life, I think. <laughs> this is literally, <laughs> actually, this is all a ploy by the, the Columbus, like, uh, tour, tourism board, who's just <laughs> desperately trying to get anybody to visit Columbus, Ohio, because there is no reason. <laughs> They're like, all right, uh, so does anybody want to come here? No? All right. Do people like that one show on Food Network? Do you think they'd go drive to that show if they could? Like the Columbus Board of Tourism still has nightmares about when Jeff Carter pouted his way out of town. <laughs> the Columbus Board. That sounds like the least exciting job in the history of America. Like there just are trying two to people. <laughs> it's like and like it's just it's either that or like Boise, Idaho or like places that are just it's got to be hard to kind of bring in people to just sightsee the town. The beautiful layout of Boise or Des Moines or... I'm just kind of imagining, like, a really, like... Like, you, you ever see, like, a sheriff's office in an old-timey show where, like, the sheriff's really bored and he's just kind of got his feet up and his hat's over his head and he's sleeping? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm imagining that. They got one sad fan that's just going back and forth in the corner. <laughs> I like the... I feel like Columbus feels like a... Um, it feels like where the cops of Superbad would be. Like that, it kind of like the border of that, where like it's just absolutely nothing going on, and like they could be doing like donuts in the parking lot. That's the kind of activity I think goes on in Columbus or Boise. Oh, absolutely. That level of excitement, yeah. So that's how you, that's how you get a jacket packer right there, Craig. Yeah, ja- yeah. Sea dog in the jacket. No, uh, we have nothing uh, to do with Flavor Town, <laughs> Ohio. Yet. Yet. Might soon. But not yet. And Donkey Sauce, Pennsylvania. And Donkey Sauce, Pennsylvania. Bring it on down. So uh, thank you to everybody that threw that our way. Again, yes, uh, we like named you all, but it, it was pretty <laughs> much everybody. It's, I, I got to say, it, it, I think it was 10 plus people. But thank you again. Yeah, please I continue. Like 
to throw Fieri uh, stuff our way because we do enjoy it. I always get a kick out of it. It is weird being associated with that man, but it's uh, that's what I brought upon myself for the Donkey Sauce to Flavortown scale. And, you know, no regrets because it's a lot of fun. It's always a fun yeah, yeah, time. No, no I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up, too. I, uh, it's a fun I'm time. Like, that... watching hockey tends to be. And ideally, we'll oh, be watching Christ. hockey... Oh God, he's back! In a month or so, King is back. <laughs> but things aren't looking good right now. No, they're not, Steve. I mean, that was that was end to end. That was pro rough against Canadians. That's Listen, I trained. One transition. Yeah, I trained in college to to do like you know news <laughs> kind of, news broadcast uh, style transitions. So <laughs> you got you got it. Yeah, that's where show. my Jedi training has brought me. <laughs> oh, <that's funny. laughs> Uh, and with that, uh, yeah, so it's looking not the, maybe not the best week in terms of, uh, I guess, the reality of the league coming back to play, uh, mainly because a, a big chunk of it was positive tests. So the beginning of last week, I believe, was the beginning of phase two. Um, so brought back all the testing and everything, and player, teams could allow players, groups of six players, to practice at their facilities. Uh, and with that, apparently 11, 11 positive tests have come back out of the over 200 players they have tested since the beginning of phase two, meaning 5.5% players have tested positive to COVID-19. Uh, for, I guess, comparison's sake, I, I looked up the number of Americans that have it and I guess the entire population just for some kind of broad uh, spectrum here. Uh, according to the internet, 20 million Americans have gotten it and there are 330 million people in the USA. The 6% of the USA has caught it. So it's not like the number, I guess, is ballooning here, which is the NHL players getting tested. It's around the rate you would expect. But it's still, it's 11 players, and all they're going to do is increase the number of players in the small groups and then go to bigger teams uh, and go to full training camps, national teams. Uh, so the... I guess the positive tests, I mean, they're a little bit alarming, and it came mainly because of uh, the Lightning had to close down the facilities. Uh, the three players uh, and additional staff members tested positive last week. And then also, according to... Are you to telling the, me that Florida reopened everything and then a bunch of people got COVID? Yep. I'm telling you that's how it is, Steve. And uh, that is going to be the storyline of something else. Yeah, that's going to be uh, the storyline of some other uh, things going on here, but... Uh, so three lightning players test positive. Uh, and then according, fortunately, according to Steve Simmons, Austin Matthews tested positive uh, for the Leafs, uh, third in the league with 47 goals this year. And also uh, maybe not the best idea for uh, Steve Simmons to kind of let that out, but that's, I guess, his, uh, that's his call at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, so pretty much just a, lot, a decent amount of positive tests in regards to the phase two starting up. And this was the, the part of the getting back into actually playing uh, that I, I was worried about when it came to the reality of it actually happening. I thought there was going to be maybe more positive tests. So I guess this number is maybe not as alarming as it could be. Still, it's not great that players are coming away positive with it. Uh, but I guess an argument could be made that some of these players may have actually had it before they got into the phase two training. I, again, not too confident in all this. And I think uh, some of the numbers are going to get worse because they did increase the number of players you can have in the group trainings from six to 12 this week. I believe that went uh, 
Yeah, Chris Johnson of Sportsnet said that increased on Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Um, so, again, we'll see what these numbers look like uh, next week, and we'll see what they look like in early July if they actually get to the 24-team uh, playoff format. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. But speaking of the tournament, or the 24-team playoff, and actually getting the games going, uh, coming into this week, we have 10 hub cities. And I believe we are now down to six from what I've been seeing. We're down to Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver, Vegas, Chicago, and LA. I believe are the six they're still talking about. Uh, Dallas, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis, uh, and Columbus are out of subsidies. So Flavortown would be out. Plenty of time to focus on renaming their city. Um, and Michael Russo is the one that said they believe Minneapolis is out. And Texas, I didn't exactly see a reason for it, but I would assume it's because their numbers have been spiking up ever since they tried to uh, reopen as well. So, and looking at these six cities, Vancouver is gaining a lot of steam this week. And then today, uh, earlier today, Global BC's Richard Suzman reported uh, that the NHL has moved on from Vancouver as an option for now, but may circle back to it if the other Canadian options Edmonton, Toronto aren't viable. So, but see, Vancouver, as a shipping expert, Vancouver is perfect because you can just uh, load all the NHLers into a shipping container, <laughs> bring them right into the port in the dead of night, and transport it's them the uh, yeah. with a truck. Yeah, so it's it all makes sense. It's all, it's all about an appropriate way to transport. You know, yeah. yeah point A, point A to point B, moving. Point, yeah, that's all it is. So uh, yeah, they could do that. I don't know if they will, but we'll we'll, we'll I'll keep the nature of the ground. Let's see what they do there. Uh, but it was. Vancouver it was just like during this week, I saw a bunch of people getting talked about the idea of Vancouver being a possible hub city. And then I, today it sounds like it's not as ideal as I guess we were led to believe, or like there might be some kind of red flags with the cities that it's not a shoe in that they want to go and check more on Edmonton and Toronto. I kept saying that the decision was going to be made for uh, next week, but I, I don't know. Like it, it a lot of this stuff seems to be up in the air because, again, when we were talking last week, it was Vegas and I think Vancouver just started to pick up steam. And now it seems, a week later, it seems really unlikely that you can have an American host city. It, it feels like it has to be Toronto, Edmonton, or Vancouver. And now, I mean, it, it feels like to me Vancouver and Edmonton make a decent amount of sense. But then again, you have two time zones, I guess, and two teams out in the West, but I don't know if the and time Toronto really, really wants to have it. You know, Toronto would like everybody yeah. to know uh, <laughs> they desperately want this and need this, and it's bullshit if they don't get it, and Kyle Dubas is, of course, a genius and knows best. <laughs> I can't wait to see how many, like, how does this affect the Leafs articles for, uh, for where these subsidies go? That'll be the big decision to go to Toronto. I mean, Toronto, again, like, I... I just don't see how it can happen because, like, the, the other cities here, Chicago, I get in a way um, because it's, I guess, it is kind of the middle of the country. Not, well, the not necessarily the middle of the country, but still in the center of everything. And that could kind of make it easier for both teams to, no, no conference would be at a huge disadvantage if they end up playing there. Um, but, like, LA, I mean, LA and Toronto, I just assumed would have been bigger issues because they are ginormous cities uh, but that's I didn't think of the facilities to do everything but I, I I don't know 
I, I mean, at this point, I really don't know what. I feel like all the hub cities have taken their chances being like the city that everybody thinks they're going to go to. And now, like it sounds like right now, Toronto and Edmonton are going to get the latest chances to prove that they are a hub city. And maybe, you know, when we come back next week, it could be like, all right, we're doing one hub city and it might be this one. And then, and then that might be it. I, I really, I can't judge with this. Uh, going. Uh, I do want to add this too from Ryan Rashog of TSN. Alberta's chief medical officer of health has signed off as on Edmonton as a hub city, and then whatever snag uh, British Columbia hit to be a hub city isn't applicable to Edmonton. What he said. So again, I mean, all of those, I guess we'd want the Flyers to play in Edmonton. It's closer, although I guess it really doesn't matter at all. And again, like for me, I, I guess the, the the big problem will be if both these uh, hub cities are on the West Coast a few times, going to scheduling games. You know, so people would actually watch, but again, weird. I mean, they don't have to worry about crowds attending, right? So, exactly, yeah. And like programming, like people don't need to worry about like programming at all now because there's no other live TV. Like, if you're, if you're like, we're going to play this playoff game at five o'clock on Tuesday, you're going to get a lot more viewers now than you would have, you know, any other time to try to do that. So, I don't think think that's the possibility. The kind of thing that does excite me about this is just having that wall to wall NHL action. Because, again, if the league was smart, they would just schedule it like Olympic style or, yeah, game on game on game on game on game and just have a marathon from like, you know, five to 10 or like, you know, really, if you want to get spicy here. And we all know we want to get spicy, just stagger (laughs) it from like noon on Saturday until like midnight or 1 a.m. and just keep going. Yeah, you could. I think like the realistic way you could do it. So like, what is it? you just play a game at seven. That's usually over at nine thirty. They could do noon to two thirty, two thirty to five, five to five thirty, um, and then five to seven thirty, seven thirty to ten. Yeah, you could probably do. Uh, I think five, six would be six would be something. They should do one day at six though. If they do, they're not. And I'm Plus sure there's also though, the factor of the, upkeeping the ice that's going to be, you know, an issue. Yeah, that's the other That's the other thing. That was something I kept pointing to. Because uh, when people were trying to point to the NBA as pointing out that they're starting to move towards actually playing games, too. It's a little easier to... I, I imagine the upkeep on rotating these games between NBA games and NHL games is a lot easier just because of the ice. Like, that's another thing. That's why I think they need... Like, I think even two is a lot. Like, two hub cities, I think, is a lot, considering the ice um, and the rinks and everything. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in the uh, up in the air, still, obviously. And uh, they got to kind of iron this all out right now. I do want to emphasize, too, because uh, <laughs> there isn't too much uh, league news stuff as well. Usually, I feel like it's been getting dumped. All the news has been getting dumped, like, Thursday afternoon. We're doing this at, like, around 7, 7.30. So maybe... You wake up tomorrow and you hear this news, it might be some kind of Freeman update from like late last night. Or like, uh, there might be some major thing we're missing here, but this is, uh, this is what we got right now. I mean, the biggest news for the Flyers, at least, was uh, the one and only uh, Oski Boy. Oski Boy! That's right. Uh, Oscar Lindblom was back out on the ice uh, skating for the first time since um, everything with Union Sarcoma uh, since uh, December. So he had been around the facility before, but this was the first time he was actually fully in gear and practicing and everything um, since, I mean, like, it's definitely the first time since uh, 
you know, since phase two started and everything. So it was good to see him out there and practicing and just uh, actually getting, you know, some kind of normalcy back within his life. You know, I imagine that, I mean, his life's been upside down since December, I would say. So it's good to see. I'm just happy to see him out there. Happy to see progress, some kind of progress being made with his health. And it looks like things are getting towards, I don't want to say towards an end, so I don't want to say anything about it now. But it seems like all's going as well as it could be with them. And I'm just, I'm happy to see him bomb in any manner right now. Um, so it's yeah, good to see him out there. It, it's awesome yeah. to see him out there and to see this progress being made. And I, I think everybody also just needs to remember that it's a long road back for him still. Oh, like yeah. he is not, it's exciting, but it doesn't mean that when the NHL returns to play that Lindblom's going to be right there with them because he's just, he's not ready yet. You especially have to be conscious of his health considering he's more vulnerable given the treatments he's been undergoing for his Ewing, yeah. Ewing sarcoma. So it's, it's it's amazing and it's the progress he has made and the fact that i mean things are looking really good with him right now is all amazing great great news but don't let's not even think about hockey with him right now like it's cool that he's skating and but he's yeah. also got you know there's a lot of factors yeah no he's not gonna um he's he's not playing anytime soon uh and i just i think it's just incredible news from the fact that he was diagnosed about a little less than seven months ago now like six and a half months ago and he's undergone uh, chemo and he's been able to make some kind of strides to get to this point now i think just that is uh it's pretty incredible so keep on fighting the good fight oscar and hopefully um i mean hopefully you know everything keeps going well and we do get to see him play one day again not that that is the only thing we're concerned about i'm just saying you know it would be a great sign that everything's fine. Uh, I guess uh, the only other flyer notes for Alex Lyons also reported to uh, Phase 2 Voorhees on Friday, and also Phil Myers was there on Wednesday, and Nate Thompson was there today. So, um, and this is really just, those practices aren't going to be anything special. It's just kind of like who was there. You're talking 6 to 12 guys are practicing at most, so there's not going to be too many updates from the actual practicing himself. It's all about the Hub cities and the testing right now. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there you go, Steve. Uh, you, uh, you still? Do you, you, you thinking this is actually going to happen? Still, I, I feel like every day there's like a new thing that comes out. And I'm kind of like, like I, I don't know. It just seems like every step along the way we're technically getting closer, but then there's more news that's kind of like, eh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I'm just kind of going with the flow right now. If something yeah. happens, cool. If it doesn't, all right, fine. Just, you know, as long as we're we're trying to keep everybody safe and not really slapping something together where people are, you know, not wearing the proper precautions around, yeah. not wearing masks, not having sanitizer and such available to them. Uh, yeah. That's my biggest concern. But I'm kind of going with the flow right now and... I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I want it to happen for entertainment, but again, I do not want this to happen if people are going to be at a great amount of risk. Yeah. And I think, I guess that's like, I, I think I'm putting it on the, I'm looking at it as, I think the league can find a way to do as much as possible. And I think it can 
successfully eliminate as many instances of people catching it as possible. But I don't think, I, I just don't think it's going to be a hundred percent thing. Like I think players are still going to get it, which is not going to be the league's fault. It's just I think some players are still going to get it, and then we're going to have the questions of. Is it going to be fair for this team to keep going without whoever this sick player is? Because it's real easy now to be like, yeah, we'll keep playing without Tyler Pitlick. But, you know, if, like, Couturier gets it, and it's like, all right, here's game three of a 1-1 series. Get in there. Let's see if you can go beat the, you know, go beat the Blue Jackets now without Sean Couturier. I don't know. Like, it, it's, I think, whatever. We'll find out. <laughs> it's all. We'll find out pretty soon. Uh, but... I have no segue here. Atlanta Videos won the Jack Adams, is what I was going to get at. We've been talking about the trophy winners the last couple of weeks. <laughs> what? Sometimes not having a segue is perfectly acceptable, my friend. It's just, you can just, you can just, you can just go, you know, you can just travel. You don't have to. Uh, I know, actually, I feel like half the show is based on segues and Guy Fieri talk. We already got the Guy Fieri talk in there. So I'm just, you I can have a, a sudden, abrupt gear shift as long as you're not going from, All right. like, I'll, absolute catastrophe to, let's talk about some uh, fun bullshit. <laughs> All right. I so go, going from talking about a potential return to play to to Leighton Vigneault as a Jack Adams candidate is a certainly acceptable uh, a, yeah, gear shift. Yeah, it's it's, it's all it's all enough. But I, I I will say I think I wrote about it back in I think March February. I don't know. But I was saying that Vigneault actually had did the had the real case for the best coaching of the year. I wasn't sure if he was going to win it because uh, usually these go to coaches that. Pretty much, for lack of better terms, we're just the luckiest set here. You look at teams that kind of got uh, annihilated in puck possession uh, numbers, but then their goalies had astronomical save percentages, and that's the coach of the year, even though it looks like their system just kind of let up a bunch of chances against and the goalie bailed them out. Uh, it's either that or a coach that kind of has to overcome adversity with injuries and still gets a team into the playoffs, or some kind of major issues throughout the season, they still squeak a team into the playoffs. So with that said, it kind of makes sense that um, some of these names are up here. Uh, I got this from an NHL.com poll back in late May. I think Dan Rosen wrote this. I'm not quite sure. It's all NHL.com's up panel. But these are the top five vote-getters among the um, NHL.com uh, results here. Uh, Lane Vigneault was number one. So Vigneault was going to win. Mike Sullivan times was two. Uh, John Torrella of uh, the Blue Jackets was three. Dave Tibbet of uh, the Oilers was four, and then uh, Bednar of the Avs was five. Back when I wrote, I think, my article in March, my whole thing was I thought Sullivan and Tortorella were going to get it because, I mean, Sullivan's case is Crosby got injured for about 30 games and the Penguins are still a playoff team. So just looking at it, just looking at that alone, that sounds like a pretty good case for Sullivan. He, I mean, the Penguins are like, as as is tradition with them, like half the team got injured this year for multiple games, so he had to deal with a lot of injury riddled lineups. And uh, the teams did all right for most of the season, but when you look at uh, Tristan Jari's numbers and um, like some of their some of the long numbers from early in the season, they got a little bit lucky, and then they kind of started kind of started not playing that great towards the, the pause. But of course, they got they got bailed out. And then Tortorella, the, the angle with him was the Blue Jackets were on the verge of being a playoff team. They lost Panarin, they lost Grabowski, they lost Duchesne, and then they had to lean on um, their backup and third-string goalies even after that this season. They're still in, like the Blue Jackets are still in the playoff race and would theoretically be making this 
2014 playoff uh, format. Tortorello is the only guy that you could tell me is more worthy than Vigneault, and I'll listen to you for five minutes. Like, oh yeah, well, because like, like I, I think Vigneault has been amazing. He has done much better than any of us anticipated, and to take this Flyers team that just looked like such a bunch of sad sacks last year and turn them into a competitor and a team to be feared mm-hmm. was such an impressive job. But Tortorella has really just worked with a couple good defensemen and a sack of crap and done wonders <laughs> with it. Like, I can't believe this team's yeah. even in the race. I thought this was going to be a bottom three team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So Tortorella is, yeah. Like if he wins this year specifically, I really will not, I, I won't be upset. I know Sean Tortorella and like, the hate him at all costs. And stuff, but, like, I just don't, like you said, like all the injuries and the goaltending situation and everything there. I just, to, if they somehow made the postseason, really would be, and Sullivan too, honestly. Like the injuries are a thing, but like Jari's numbers during that stretch when Crosby was out were insane. Like the Penguins weren't that great when Crosby was injured. It was just Jari made a ton of stops. So again, it wasn't necessarily a lot of I guess scheme and systems and everything that kind of kept the Penguins afloat this year. Sullivan's systems have been great in Pittsburgh, and I think they've worked really well. But this year it was just a lot of Penguins got hurt, and then. They got some goaltending or find ways to still win games without Crosby. And everybody was like, wow, that's got to be some great goaltending or uh, great coaching. And I don't know if that was. I mean, if, if you're going to tell me that uh, Sullivan should win the Jack Adams, then you might as well just argue that Malkin should win the Masterton. <laughs> I know I mean, it's not quite yeah, level, no. but like. <laughs> No, I think yet. they're both kind what of bullshitting because, oh, no, I lost one superstar to have another superstar to rely on. Oh, jeez. Well, see, but Sullivan. Who uh, cares? Yeah, you know, Bullshit. I'm not Bullshit. I'm not going to go down that path with Sullivan. I was going to say the only, for the way that I usually go about looking at the Jack Adams, sincerely, the only two options for me this year uh, would be Vignon Tibbet because they, because Sullivan and Torella are, they lean, are leaning on heavy goaltending. But Vignon and Tibbet are both situations where they had either mediocre to below mediocre teams last year. There were no major significant like roster overhauls. Yeah, the Flyers added Niskin and, and Hayes, but it wasn't like they added Jack Eichel or like McKinnon. It wasn't like they added a top five player and it was a, a needed spot on the team. They added a couple pieces that they did need, but I feel like the large amount of success, the success this year has been Mignot's system and the way he's kind of changed mentality with a lot of things and his handling of the roster and just the way that him and Fletcher have kind of put together this roster. And I think the only other coach around the league where you can look at a mediocre to below average team that became either borderline playoff team or a stronger, like a strong team is Tippett with the Oilers. Cause I know Drysdale had a huge year, but Part of that is because Drysdale and McDavid got split up by Tippett, and then they actually had two decent lines that could produce, and they didn't lean heavily on a goaltender that was like losing his mind and just posting like nine sixty save percentages or anything. He took a team that was just not good defensively and kind of improved their numbers all around, and now they are a playoff team. So it's a, to me, it's either Vigneault or, or Dave Tippett. And uh, I mean, I, it's kind of funny. I remember writing about when they. I just really remember that now. When the Flyers didn't get Quinville, I remember writing an article about how A.V. and Dave Tippett were still out there. And I think I advocated for Tippett because everywhere he's gone, the, the defensive numbers have improved. And he hasn't really been given, he wasn't with the Stars and Coyotes for a couple of years there. 
like the code is that more a you know a powerhouse goals <laughs> and they still almost made the stanley cup so i think he's, he's i think he knows what he's doing on the bench yeah i've always liked Tippett, and i i do think he is a worthy candidate up there but at the end of the day, and I am biased. I'm 100 percent biased, but AV Big Al is my guy. I think he's. Yeah. I think he deserves it. I, I think the transformation of this team from again sad sex into, like Tippett. <laughs> Tippett's main thing was he. Uh, he's finally utilizing two of the best players in the world, and yeah, well, you know, putting the Oilers where they should be. Like those. Like he's got some great players well, to work with. And frankly, you know, it's yeah. It, I'm not downplaying it but i think how Vigneault has transformed the flyers has been more impressive not nothing against Tippett. i think he's done an impressive job but i think Vigneault's done a, a more impressive job with a less consistent roster i i think that's a good way to put it like i guess i don't know if this gonna make sense but i feel like Tippett has gotten a fair amount out of the oilers but you can kind of point to the reason like you can kind of point to the band-aids for why they're successful this year and they may not be next year or the year after that, or you can see, like, the major flaws in their team. But, yeah, like you're saying with the Flyers, last year, you didn't need to look hard to see what the fuck was on the team. And, again, there was some roster change. Not a ton, but some people moved in and out. And then this year, they look completely different. They're coming out firing in the third period to play without games. They're not, giving, they're not like, sitting back on leads. Um, they're aggressive on the forecheck. They're aggressive on the penalty kill. They, they don't have nights off. They just don't take nights off. They don't start games quickly, but they they finish strong. Um, and I think that's a uniform change across the entire team. So, yeah, I'm leaving A.V. I think A.V. honestly does deserve it. It is kind of like this year. This year is kind of funny because I, I think the Flyers could end up winning three trophies, like individual trophies, which I don't know. I might have to look that up and make that a 2 o'clock number, but I don't know uh, the last time that's happened where they've won three different ones, but I I honestly think AV has a really good shot at Jack Adams. I think Couturier should win the selfie again. I think that might come down to more of whether or not Clark wants to stay in the cup. And then uh, Lindblom, unfortunately, might have a chance at the match. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, I don't I think they all have pretty, like, big Flyers could have three trophies this year, but uh, we'll see. Not we shall to, see. Uh, yeah, not, not a given, but uh, so out of those, uh, so who would you say is your second then? It sounds like you're leaning towards uh, Tortorella. I think uh, just because yeah. Tortorella has, I, I don't know, like I know Seth Jones and Wierenski is on that team, but yeah. it was man, a lot of. <laughs> it's not yeah. much. There, there ain't much there. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think Tippett's also, I mean, it's kind of a toss up for second. I, I think Vigneault should win it, but. I mean, yeah, I, I would say you kind of talked me a little bit into it. I think Tippett's worthy, but I think Vigneault is more worthy. Uh, but Tortorella, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just, it's an impressive job. Yeah, I'm going, I, I'm saying AV, I'll get Tippett second, and I think Tortorella's third, and I wouldn't be surprised if sold him. Like, I wouldn't be, honestly, I'm not going to be surprised if Tippett gets leaved off the, left off this. Left off this. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it could be AV, Sullivan, and Tortorella. But yeah, uh, so Hart, let's talk about the Hart Trophy, not Carter Hart, <laughs> folks. Uh, Hart Trophy, the MVP, uh, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, uh, McDavid, Poshnik, Panarin were the top five on the uh, NHL.com poll from Dan Rosen back in late May. 
And uh, I, I mean, I think it's got to be dry title, to be honest, mainly because of the things we were just talking about before <laughs> with Tiffit, where uh, it wasn't McDavid carrying dry title, and it wasn't just a thing where McDavid was just setting up dry title and then dry title somehow just got. A couple extra points here. Uh, I think he did a lot of the work to earn this title. Uh, 110 points, 43 goals, 67 assists in 71 games this season. Uh, 13 more points than McDavid, who finished second in the league in points. Uh, his 43 goals is fourth behind Ovechkin, Poshnik, and Matthews. Uh, he led the league with 44 power play points, second with 66 even strength points. Um, and then, yeah, and that's worth pointing out too because he was second in even strength points and McDavid was 10th with 54 so we had 12 more even strength points uh, than McDavid this season so it was it was a lot of dry cycle standing uh, alone it wasn't just getting carried by uh, McDavid I think Tibbet's decision to break those two up kind of I guess even out the top six helped the Oilers down the line and I also think um yeah, I mean, I think that just led the dry subtle season. And I think he I think he does deserve it. I don't know why he wouldn't. I don't know why he wouldn't. He's got 13 more points than the next closest person also on his team. And those guys were the two main reasons why they went on to pretty much went to the postseason. And uh, I guess in case we made that McDavid's stats and season kind of hurts dry cycle's case. But I, um, I don't know. I, I think I think Josh Lowe deserves it this year. It's either it should be him, and I can hear a case for the next guy. Yeah, I mean, I got a case for McKinnon where it wins me some money. I like but, uh... McKinnon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, McKinnon is the other guy, uh, and he did finish second in this voting. But McKinnon's got some pretty good baseline arguments here, and um, he's got the big. His big argument is the one that won somebody uh, the MVP two years ago, uh, 2017-18 with Taylor Hall. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. McKinnon, ninety-three points. 35 goals in 69 games this season. Very nice amount of games. Uh, fifth in points in the league. Ninth in goals, sixth in assists. First with 318 shots and fourth with 31 power play points uh, behind three other hard candidates. So, um, third it's hard to not give it to Dreisaitl just because he has absolutely killed it. He has just annihilated it. And like if oh, yeah, the yeah. point differential was closer, I think McKinnon's got more of a case. But I mean, the fact that he's got, what is that, 17 points? on McKinnon is wild shit right there. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, exactly, Scott. And and McKinnon, you know, of course, didn't have a fucking down season at all. But uh, I, I think McKinnon has a case because of uh, Kale McCarr second on the abs with 50 points this season. Uh, so there is um, 43 points between McKinnon, who's first, and McCarr, who's second on the abs. Uh, Taylor Hall, when his big case was look at him as the only point producer on his team in 2017-18 with the Devils, and we that was all we heard and we're, you know, was beat into our heads because Drew had a chance of winning hard that year. Uh, Hall had 41 points, and he sure did in 2017-18. So if we're looking for the nobody else is there to help him argument, and again, I know it's the ass, but like McKinnon has that this year because Brandon got hurt for a while, and um, I think Lance got hurt for a bit too. Um, but like the... He's far ahead in points of uh, everybody else on the apps. And uh, we, I guess he has the argument for being the most important player. Like the abs, I think the ab he is more important to the abs than Dry Seidel is to the Oilers, maybe. 
No. Right, because if you take Trisite all the way, you still have Connor McDavid, and that's, yeah. you know, that's still a pretty damn good position. But, I mean, again, Trisite's just absolutely annihilated it, so I, I, I would be okay with either one of those guys winning it, but... I, it should be dry sidle. I, I love McKinnon though, and he's done a great job, especially with some of the injuries that the Avs have suffered this year. Yeah, no, he, he's done, and I mean he always, he's always been doing a lot there, and he should should consistently be brought up in like the heart, the heart trophy race here. Uh, but I think it's just I don't know. I think dry point production this year is just it's a lot, and I think he has a really good argument of just him and McDavid being the main things that make Edmonton go, just like. Colorado. Colorado, I think, is a deeper team. I mean, they are a deeper team than the uh, Oilers. But McKinnon, I mean, the, this, the point stats, like the points here alone are a pretty good indication that he's a pretty big driving force over there. I mean, obviously, you can see it too when you're watching him play, but I think between those two, and McDavid, McDavid, uh, second in points with 97, 34 of which were goals in 64 games this uh, season, second in points, 10th in goals, seven assists, second with 43 power play points. Um, and again, I think, I, like, I'm not putting him over these two, the other two right now, just because I, I don't <laughs> I don't think McDavid should get it over a guy that had more points than him on the same team, if all the same arguments are going to be used for McDavid that you should use for Bryce title. Hello, McDavid, no way. Yeah, no, no, not this year. Like, He's gonna get I think Pasternak's got a, a better yeah. case than McDavid. My, yeah. my thing with McDavid is I think he should get a legitimate chance at the Masterton, even though I don't think people are going to really be open to that because he's going to get a million other awards. But he came back from that um, uh, season-ending injury and then was just able to not miss any time this season and just keep going and just produce like he did. Uh, so Poshnik, though, I agree. Poshnik, I think I would put over him as well. 95 points, 48 of which are goals in 70 games this season. Third in points, tied for first in goals with the Vetchkin. Fifth in shots. Third with 38 power play points. Um, and I really don't – I mean, if he was to be uh, second or third this year, I guess I wouldn't – I think he should be third. I think it should be Drysdale and McKinnon. And then I, I, I really wouldn't mind Poshnik or <laughs> – Panera, but that's I really would lean towards Poshnik here. Uh, Poshnik, I mean, the thing with Poshnik, I think that might drive people away is the fact he's on the line with Marshan and Bergeron. And I'm not saying that he's driven by those two, but if you ask uh, old hockey writers about Juice Bergeron, uh, I don't think you're gonna talk them into like he's getting help from either Marshan or Poshnik. I feel like. Patrice Bergeron could play five games in a season and he would still he would be still, a finalist for the. Yeah, he'd be third. Yeah. He'd be like, oh, he only played five games this year, so we got to. Yeah. No, but yeah, so I think that. That's defensive him. forward in those five games, let me tell you. <laughs> that hurts him being on that line. Uh, like, people knowing how well the Bruins are defensively. I, I mean, Rask is going to ladle up for Vesna, which we'll talk about in a second. The team is known as being defensively sound and one of the better teams. Like, most solid uh, deep teams in the league. Uh, so the fact he's actually on a powerhouse team that might actually come out of the East, I think hurts him in terms of being the MVP because it is a lot about that line. Even though he is an incredible goal scorer and he should have had 50 goals this year, I think that's going to hurt him in terms of the, the MVP talks. But um, And then Panarin. Panarin was somebody who I was throwing out there before the pause, that if the Rangers somehow pulled off getting back into the, the real postseason, not whatever this is, uh, 
that they that he should be in the running for the heart. So if there were 16 teams making the postseason instead of 24, I thought that would have been for me. That would have been the um, the line of whether or not he should win it all. But you know, you can't add eight teams to that pool and then have me keep the opinion. So I, uh, 95 points, 32 goals, uh, 69 games this season. Third in points, 13th in goals, second in assists. He was first in the league with 71 even strength points. So that'll be his main argument. Be the production of even strength, but bread um, man. <laughs> Panarin, Panarin's an interesting one. A lot of people have really come out. Some people have very strongly said that they think Panarin is deserving of the heart this year, and I, he's done an amazing job on a shit team. And that team is terrible yeah. without him. Like if he did not play, like he truly is the most valuable player on that team, but. You know, call me old school, but I really do think, like, if it wasn't for the formatting on the potential playoff formatting this year, the Rangers wouldn't be sniffing the playoffs. They wouldn't even be close. Oh, no, no, they wouldn't. It's like, okay, you might be the best of a a pile of garbage, but you're still in the pile of garbage. (laughs) They're just at the top of the dumpster. They're just Uh, at the middle. You know what? That tasty cake's still good on the top of that, uh... Like, uh, no, he's a, he's a Jewish. Dumpster. <laughs> was it an Edmonds? Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was an yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah 100%. Like, the yeah, you know, yeah. The, the heart could be George Costanza picking up that, <laughs> but he could just, you know, double dip a chip instead. Yeah, my, my thing is, like, he, yeah, he was a very good player on a team that, again, loved offense and hated defense, and they could make the postseason. Uh, I just... I just don't think he's the – if the Rangers were locked into a playoff position with that defense, uh, I, I think I would be a little more willing to do it, but I just don't think uh, – like considering also getting some time to look back and look at the other seasons that Dry Seidel and McKinnon and Posh and the Cat, I, I don't really see – I don't think his season was better than those three. I don't know. Just one man's opinion. I don't know. I have to look more at Panarin. I remember being on the Panarin for hard train a little bit if they had made the postseason, but I don't know why I've fallen out. I love that idea so much now. Probably because he's a Ranger, you know? And this is... Uh, it probably has to do with that. It probably has to do with that. Yeah, so a blue a, shirt. Yeah, so. Uh, Vesna, I don't think it's going to go to our, our baby boy Carter Hart, but it should. Probably in the near future. Probably get one of those bad boys pretty soon. But this year... See, Steve, who are you... I mean, by the way, so hard you're leaning dry side, right? Or McKinnon. I'm leaning dry side, all uh, you, you have, know, uh, outside of my financial uh, <laughs> desires here. It was a five dollar yeah, bet. I get seventy bucks. Come on. I do uh, love McKinnon. I'm pulling for McKinnon now. So I'm pulling for McKinnon, but yeah, it should be dry side. I mean, he, he crushed it, right? He crushed it. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, again, like, he has the uh, Wachinski uh, Devils argument. They were all so just saying. Yeah, They're except the, uh, he's actually team. playing on a good team and not a trash team. <laughs> yes. Not a team of swamp people. All right. Uh, Vesna, I have no strong feelings on anybody. I got one. And that's, I think, Kelly Buck should win, or at least he should be in second slash get a ton of luck. Because it seems like people are just chalking us up to Tuka Rask right now. Uh, and again, the, the NHL.com poll in late May. Uh, Rask was first, Kelly Buck was second, Vasilevsky was third. And uh, Bishop was fourth. So I put down a couple of options here. I also wanted to talk about Laner real quick. But hell you, Buck. I feel like uh, people are going to chalk and rasp because 
his numbers are better. Um, and the Bruins are one of the best teams in hockey this year. And also, people know Raskin. You know, he's a pretty damn good goalie. But Hellybuck went 31, 21, and 5, 922 save percentage, 2.57 GAA, and six shutouts behind the Jets' defense, which, you know, they lost Buffalo and they lost Truba, they lost Myers, uh, signed Lucas Pisa, and then were a borderline playoff team. Uh, with They lost half their defense, made it worse, and still had guys like Kulikov. Uh, team got hemmed in their zone every single night, some of the worst possession numbers by any team in the bottom five in a minute. And Hellyabuck pretty much just kept them in every game by bailing out with key saves all night. Uh, and I, when you look at Rask, who's part of a defensive system and has a little more defensive uh, help in front of him, with guys like Char and McAvoy, um, 26, 8, and 6, 929 save percentage, 2.12 GAA, and five shutouts. So his numbers are save percentage and GAA are a little bit better than um, Hellyabuck's. But again, this is all considering. Uh, that he just benefits a lot more from his, his teammates and the team around him. Uh, and I think more than that, too, Hellybuck played 58 games this year, though Laurent Francois, the Jets backups, 19, while Rask had to start for, or play 41 to Locks 31. So Rask even got more support in the back of goalie department. And when you look at Francois' numbers compared to Locks' numbers, I mean, Francois' numbers are not even close to Hellybuck's, and Locks' numbers are pretty damn good this year. Which again kind of speaks to the whole idea of the defensive system up there is helping out their uh, their goal thing a little bit. Not to take everything away from Rask, but just kind of saying that I think Hallie Buck might get dicked over here because <laughs> I think I mean, he's having a hell of a season, and he's a guy that he's like a surefire Hall of Famer, right? The the Frankenstein <laughs> monster back there is a surefire Hall of Famer, and you have like a bunch of other impressive defensemen on that team, whereas yeah. the Jets have. Let's see. Dustin Bufflin disappeared into thin air. Yeah. And I don't I who the hell yeah. is even on the Jets beyond beyond yeah. that, as far as defense goes. Like they obviously have some great offensive players, but as far as defense goes, just kinda like okay. So and, just considering yeah. the body of work around them or considering who who their coworkers are, uh Tuka <laughs> Rask is in a much better position to succeed than Helia Buck is. So I, I do agree with yours. Your assessment is correct here, sir. Thank you. That's all I wanted. Yeah, I just wanted to hear that I am once again. Let's debate this. Rest numbers are better. Case closed. <laughs> That's my gavel. Yeah. I, I got to get you a gavel are... effect for down here. It's going to be part of yeah. the soundboard with the oh wow and the gavel sound. I was going to say, uh, soundboard, by the way. Now that I've got my computer set up and uh, a mic and everything, I think soundboard might be next on me. Uh, we're slowly inching our way towards... Somebody sea did dog ask in the jacket. I was going to say, somebody threw a sea dog in the jacket. Uh, uh, they were asking for a timeline. What should throw out an episode? Uh, just saying, you know, the soundboard. We might be, uh, might be rolling towards that any second now. Uh, Hall- yeah, Hallie Buck, though. He, he deserved it. That's that's case closed. Okay. Uh, Bishop and Vasilevsky. And I'm throwing in Laner there, too. But Bishop, somebody I threw out there last year. But, again, probably a lot of stuff that you can say about Rask applies to uh, Bishop. Stars with Jim Montgomery leading into a Honest, they are pretty good um, uh, defense. I mean, they're a very defensively sound team, and the numbers improved a lot under Montgomery. And Bishop's numbers were decent last year, and again, he didn't play a 
ton this year. Cadova and played a decent amount, also pretty good numbers. Uh, Bishop went 21 16 and 4 with a 920 save percentage, 2.50 GAA, and two shutouts this season. So if he ends up being the third one, or Vasilevsky, who's 35 14 3 with a 917 save percentage, 2.56 GAA, and three shutouts are the third option, that will be fine by me, but I can't see how he buckets them up. I guess I'm going for here. Uh, Ryan Laner, too, I thought might deserve a little bit of love because, uh, like the Rangers and Blackhawks decide not to play defense this year, and later went 19-10-5 with a 9-20 save percentage, 2.89 GAA, and one shutout this season. Played most of the season with the Hawks to uh, Chicago 31st and expected goals against for 60 and shots against for 60 at 5-on-5. Five five. So pretty much at 5-on-5. Five five. So just, you know, just having fun out there. They're just seeing what, uh, they like goals. They want to see how many goals they get. That's what it's all about, gang. It's all, yeah, fans can't see goals. I don't care about defense or the trap or that shit. I really went for the, the Casey Kasem voice there. <laughs> hey, gang, here's a number one hit from 1979. Which is? It's like Scoob. Okay. <laughs> Blinded by the light. Uh, call. Uh, you want to do Calder now? You, 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 uh... like a douche in the night. Calder's gonna be a fight. Jack Hughes. It's a McCall, dude, dog. But it's not Jack Hughes. <laughs> it be Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes and Cal McCarr. Yeah. Yeah, Pat Quinn Hughes. I don't... This one, I cannot, uh, it's going to, it'll be a tough one to decide. I would lean towards um, Carr. May, may I throw a candidate in the ring that nobody's thinking about, and it's a travesty? Go Nicholas Albe-Kubel. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do love Just for having the best, new, the best new fan club, the NAKGB. <laughs> yeah, the NAKGB supporters are out there. We'll see them. But, uh, I mean, based on just mass appeal to the fans, he should get it. But uh league's fucked up. They're going to do the whole uh, voting and, you know, based it on points and shit like that. So, uh, I don't think he's going to get it. He did have a, I mean, NAK, though. Let's talk, we don't talk about NAK. Yet. I miss that guy. I miss him Yeah, I miss watching. He's amazing on the four check. He usually did everything you want to see a, a fourth-line player do out there. It's just, damn, so many things were fun about this flyer season. And then... Anyway, uh, Calder, baby, let's talk about it. I yeah, Quinn Hughes flew too close to the sun. (laughs) Then uh, it's really going to come down to these two. Uh, Quinn Hughes, fifty-three points, eight goals, forty-five helpers, sixty-eight games this season. First in rookie points, uh, first in rookie assists, first in rookie uh, power play points uh, with twenty-five. McCarr, fifty points, twelve goals, thirty-eight helpers, and sixty-eight games. Second in rookie points, six in rookie goals, first among rookie defensemen, and second with power play points. Um, and also, like I said before, he was second on the ads in scoring. Uh, so I think that, to me, that's kind of an important, I think that's a uh, pretty good argument for um, a car should win it over Hughes, uh, just because he was more important to the ads. You're a pretty damn good team on the West, even though we kind of inadvertently tried to say they weren't deep about five minutes ago by we i mean me but that's not what i was saying at all uh i was uh, <laughs> i mean one of their best offensive players was hurt for half the season and that's so pretty that, much what it came down to yeah it was rain and, and like i think lane has gone missed a bunch of time too so like yeah. the two guys that would be up there for like filling in that gap were out so then it came down to come the car yeah uh, but i mean and was dynamic and looked great 
Christmas this season. So, and if Hughes wins it, I don't really have an issue with that. Again, because I'm a weirdo, I guess my thing would be uh, I am pushing that Dominic Kubelik of the uh, Blackhawks gets the third vote because Tucker had a 30 goal season in Chicago this season, and I know like that's I guess maybe not doesn't sound amazing, but he's a rookie that played 68 games and had 30 goals. Uh, played most of the season on line with Taves uh, and the third line mate rotate in and out, but finished third. In points among rookie, uh, rookies, first in goals uh, among, among rookies, first in shots uh, with 157, and then he was one of 17 30-goal scorers this season overall. Um, and, yeah, just kind of quietly came over this year. I don't think he was expected to go off like this and then ends up uh, putting him uh, 46 points, 30 goals and 16 uh, assists in 68 games. So pretty, he, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, and then the one good thing that uh, Buffalo's got going on now is that maybe Victor Olsen earns the, the third place now for this. By the way, these two are not going to come anywhere near. It's it's Hughes and Carr. Uh, I'm not sure which one again. But Victor Olsen, though, uh, might get some love as a, as a third place vote here, but probably shouldn't. Uh, 42 points, 20 goals this year, and 54 games. Fourth in points, second in goals, first with 11 power play goals, fifth in assists, third in power play points. And fourth in shots among rookies. His 11 power play goals is tied for 11th in the league. He also started his career by scoring six power play goals. His first six goals of his career were power play goals, which ties the record for longest streak to start your career. Um, and again, just for the Sabres' sake, uh, it's not really a good time up there right now. But I guess a seventh rounder, 2014, posting 20 goals is maybe not the worst. Uh, it's not the worst development for that team. Played on the line with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt all year. So, you know, production it helps a little. But again, seventh round pick, not exactly a lot of hype. Ended up becoming a 20 goal scorer on a team that is. Uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, all I know is that Elvis Merzlikens is going to be there you go. watching the detectives as they try <laughs> to figure out he, how he's not. The top Elvis Merzlikens, there you go. That is actually, yeah, going back to Tortorella and the goaltender. Yeah, put Merzlikens in here. Merzlikens, it should be Merzlikens over uh, Olsen. So uh, throw away those outlines. But either way, I still think, ah, Merzlikens is pretty damn good. So him or Kubelik then for a third. 30 goals or pointless. I think Elvis had like 90, like a 930 save percentage. Not sure though. Oh, uh-huh. you used to be the Legends of the Hidden Temple song. What was that? <laughs> I was just kind of doing an Elvis sound, not Legends oh, okay. of the Hidden Temple, but yeah. <laughs> if, right. if you uh, want to go assemble like three parts of a pendant so that we can get past the Temple Guards, be my guest. <laughs> what a weird that. show! What a weird, terrifying show! Legends of the Hidden Temple was. Yeah, we all watched when we were like seven or eight. Yeah. If, was, uh, if you're not familiar with Legends of the Hidden Temple, they would have this this final like, stage that you had to go through where these terrifying temple guards would jump out from the shadows and grab you and take you away if you didn't have a pendant that you could give them that would appease the, the temple guards. Yeah. I we should we should do that one week because we'll just go back and we rank the uh We've ranked the Legends of the Hidden Temple uh, team names and uniforms. I think that's Good. next week's Flyperbly Under Quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be. 
Uh, yeah, because, uh, God, I miss that show. It's got to be on somewhere, right? I don't pay attention to it. I'm, I'm sure it is. We're going to find it, and we're going to talk about the Purple Parrots for an hour. Uh, by the way, Ellis Lickens, uh, 923 save percentage in 33 games. So that's, uh, oh, wow. That's, that's what, so, yeah, again, I guess, yeah. Merzlikens should be in this conversation. You're right. I did kind of forget about him. But, uh, you know, I don't fucking care. He's on the blue jackets, and we already spent 20 minutes, uh, no. He can't help making a save. Ah, uh, Kermit, help. Okay, I've had enough. Let's move on to the Norris. Yeah, let's, uh, let's just, yeah. Accordingman.com, uh, the poll in early June for uh, the Norris was uh, John Carlson first, Roman Yossi second, Victor Hedman third, Alex Petrangelo fourth. And again, for me, I can see either argument for Carlson or Yossi. Carlson uh, is... Very offensive. Uh, just an offensive defenseman, mainly. Uh, logs a lot of minutes. He's uh, 24-30. He's tied for ninth among uh, defensemen uh, for average time on ice. 75 points, 15 of which were goals in 69 games this season. Uh, first in points, fourth in goals, first in assists, second with 26 power play points among defensemen. Uh, he's actually 12th in scoring and fourth uh, with 60 assists. And then he's first among D-men with 49 even strength points. And again, those are all um, you know, offensive numbers and his defensive his underlying defensive numbers maybe aren't uh, great, but he does log a lot of ice time and he's an important defender on a pretty damn good Cavaliers defenseman. So if he wins the Norris, I'm not going to lose my mind. Same with Yosti. I guess Yosti, the argument would be he's more of a, uh, I guess, like a complete defenseman, more two way defenseman, 65 points, uh, 16 goals, 49 assists in 69 games. Um, Second in points, second in goal, second in assist, fifth in power play points among D men, four. Def- oh, yeah, among me. <laughs> defensemen. Uh, 25, 47 is third among uh, ice time among defensemen. And then uh, second among defensemen is 42 even strength points. Pretty much just behind Carlson in most of the county stats. His underlying numbers have been better at five and five. So, again, if it comes down to these two, I'm fine with that. Uh, Petrangelo, 52 points in 70 games. Uh, six in points, second in goals is 16. Let you see him then. Um, uh, six in power play points. 24-11 uh, average time on ice, though, is 14th among defensemen. That kind of feels low for a guy that's up for the Norris, especially for Petrangelo, too, who usually logs all the ice time in the world. I thought it would have been uh, a little bit higher than that. But uh, Hedman, 55 points, 11 goals, 44 assists in 66 games this season. Third in points, 15 in goals, fourth in assists, six in power play points among defensemen. 24-04 of ice time is 15th among. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it should be Carlson or UOC. They're all great. Yeah, if I had to, if I had to pick one that I, I guess wouldn't be here, or like I guess wouldn't include that, I, I don't know. I really, yeah. Carlson or UOC, we just leave it at that. So, those uh, those would be the uh, those would be the trophies, uh, Steve. So that's uh, that's that. Again, I think the Flyers do have a legit chance to come home with three. Talked about the Masterton and uh, Selkie last couple of weeks, and we talked about the Jack Adams to start all this. So uh, could be, you know Flyers might be coming home with some hardware. That stuff, Stanley Cup, Hans Smythe. So you're looking at five trophies uh, start up the next season. So a lot to build off of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if they if they can't 
get a chance to win the Stanley Cup on the ice, I'm sure the ass crew can assemble an Ocean's Eleven-style team <laughs> of random former Flyers to go and steal the Stanley Cup. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah assembling that former Flyers team, aka just going to the front office. You know, like, you guys bored? You want something to build? And then just go and pull some guys out of there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just got like, uh, Eric Gustafson doing like uh, gymnastics <laughs> in the background, like doing backflips and shit. Trent Platt's wearing a fake mustache to infiltrate a casino. Let's just say it's in a casino. Why not? <laughs> Sean Podine's forged some papers. Gary Galley's communicating with people on the walkie-talkie. The Gary Galley. Live <laughs> in the flesh, just letting know. I can, you know. Fuck it. You want to do that and still let the season resume? Just try and steal the Stanley Cup? I think that's actually we should assemble teams to try and steal the Stanley Cup. They can all wear masks while doing this. They don't necessarily have to do these plots uh, together. I think it's the safest way. There you go. So we're going to the, the, the heist Stanley Cup. <laughs> do you want to... Well, if we're yeah, doing I'll, heist, I'll make a proposal. I'll talk to, to G-Bet on Monday. We'll figure it all out. <laughs> Hammer out those details. <laughs> he likes to call them deets, though. G bet's big on the deets. On the call them deets, okay. Well, uh, let me. Uh, in that case, Steve, let me lay out the deets of uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame class for this year. There you go. Got back on the segue. Uh, the segue train. Uh, the group. B minus. <laughs> Jerome Gilma. Hey, it's passing. Jerome Gilma, Marion Hosa, Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, Ken Holland, and Kim St. Pierre were elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame this uh, week. Ken Holland as a builder. So let's uh, let's go through and uh, talk about these dorks. Gimla, as we've talked about, actually a couple times during quarantine. Uh, flyerish, non-flyer, Jerome Gimla, yeah, the most flyerish player to never play with the Flyers. It felt like uh, just a dude that would score goals and was pretty tough. One of my getting scraps, only was a pretty good leader on and off the ice. Uh, just felt very much like a good version of a very flyerish player. But uh, thirteen hundred points, six hundred twenty-five goals. In 1,554 games with the Flames, Pens, Avs, and Kings. I forgot he was on the Kings for a little bit of time. Uh, 14th in games played, tied for 16th in goals, and 9th in game-winning goals all-time. Won the uh, Art Ross back in 2001-02. Rock Richard in 2001-02, 2003-04. Ted Lindsay, uh, B. Pearson, best player voted by the NHLPA in 2001-02. Also won a gold medal with Canada. 2002 and 2010, uh, IIHF World Championship in 97, World Junior Championship in 96, and the World Cup of Hockey in 2004, and then also won the King Clancy Trophy uh, in 2003 04 and the Mark Messier Leadership Award in 08 09. Pretty much just awards to get the dudes for being good guys. Uh, two 50 goal seasons, two 40 goal seasons, eight 30 goal seasons, three 25 goal seasons. And another two 20 goal seasons. The guy liked the score goals. Uh, Not that's, too shabby. Yeah, you have 12 seasons over 30 goals in the NHL. I think you're, I think you're doing something right. Uh, four over 40. It's not bad. Uh, and a couple notes, a couple interesting, interesting notes about Aguilma. Uh, first stars pick to make the Hall of Fame, which is funny on a lot of levels because he was taken by the stars, uh, 11th overall, 95, traded to the Flames. Uh, for Joe Newendike, uh, the trade with Corey Millen for Joe Newendike in December of '95. So he was drafted by the Stars, never actually played for him. Now he was the only member 
uh, original star Dallas Star Trap pick that is now in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I know everybody's thinking Mike Madonna more stars. So, uh, and then he is also the fourth player to fourth black player to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Willie O'Ree, Grant Fuhrer, and Angelo James being the other three. What's up? Sounds like you're about to. No, I got I got okay. nothing. That's uh, oh, a okay. great great player, well deserving. Uh, happy to see it. Oh yeah, and no, he was. He was a man. Great I, I to really see did. another black player in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's far too few and uh, definitely need to make more strides in that area, as we have uh, said time and time again in recent weeks and really should be saying all the time. But uh, great to see another one in there. Jerome McGrindla, uh, great player. Wish he had uh, actually worn the orange and black at some point. But, you know, that's. Uh, yeah, I that's wish life. he had actually. I wish, I wish he had actually won the cup, too. I mean, if there was a guy that kind of deserved it, I know. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure the best chance, well, the closest chances he got were in 2004, and then also uh, uh, the year with the, uh, the Penguins uh, was in 2013. They got swept in the, the Eastern Conference Finals, so he unfortunately never got, never won at all. But uh, Ed cannot be said about this guy who pretty much made it his case for getting into the Hall. Well, I shouldn't say that, but Marion Hosa, uh, 1,134 points. 525 which were goals in 1,309 games with the Senators, Thrashers, Penguins, Red Wings, and Hawks. Three Stanley Cups for Marion Hossa. Uh, no personal awards, but he did win three Stanley Cups. Uh, I think you could argue that he should have been in the discussion for Selkie a lot more. I think that could have, he could have won a couple of those. Or at least he was often one. considered probably the best defensive winger uh, yeah, every year. Uh, like, and it's kind of wild that he wasn't. I think the, the first person... Mark Stone is finally starting to get some recognition. I don't know why wingers are never. I guess because centers uh, traditionally play more of a two-way game, but well, it's it was, still, you know, I don't know why he was never considered. Too busy thinking about Bergeron all those years, I guess. God, um, I, I want to say, and this is going to sound completely random, I think Jeff Merrick used to always talk about like how the award was originally started, like what originally was given to wingers. Like, it was one of those things where it was kind of like an unretired number where, like, you know, you know, like the Flyers, nobody's really going to use 31 again. But at the same time, nobody, you know, they're not going to really retire it. I think it used to be, um, oh, my God, I completely forgot my train of thought here. (laughs) Oh, uh, the Selkie, yeah. So it used to be four wingers. And then it kind of just slowly turned into, like, best defensive centers. Every year, you're probably going to lean towards the center over a winger. So that's why the wingers usually always get screwed over. Or, you know, if they had actually just stuck to the case for the wingers, like Hosa would have won it, like, every year for a decade there for a while. Like, he was the, was pretty damn good going both ways in and out. But I have to – because I, I forget who originally won, like, the first few, but I think that's what Merrick was saying. Like, it was originally made for wingers because the case for a center was, was too easy all the time. So, like, that – him being on the wing – probably screwed him out of a bunch of individual awards. But anyway, that's a whole fucking uh, tangent that I just decided to go on. So, uh, but he he did win three cups, and then he also, uh, this was according to, um, I forgot to write the NHL.com article, but it was, uh, he was also the only player to go to three straight Stanley Cups with three different teams. So the, he lost with the Pens in 2008, lost to the Red Wings in 2009, and then won with the Hawks in 2010. And of course, uh, three 40 goal seasons, five 30 goal seasons, five 25 goal seasons, and two 20 goal seasons. And I think about his 
career-ending injury a lot because it's still kind of uh, unique. I mean, he, he was apparently allergic to his equipment or something with his equipment where he just had to stop playing because he couldn't continue to play games. It felt a little suspicious because it came and then uh, traded to the Coyotes. And then he never played again. So that may have been the Hawks looking for a way out of a contract. But and the Coyotes well, have much. never been known to help teams get out of bad oh. contracts. No, they were they were never a graveyard for old shitty contracts or no. That was I can't think of one. Uh that's I liked Hosa though. I really thought I thought Hosa was gonna be a guy that he got in his first year of eligibility. I thought he was gonna have to sit there and wait a little bit of time, mainly because of the individual awards and because he didn't really have any he did have a couple of forty goal seasons and a couple of thirty goal seasons, but they weren't the monster numbers like a Gimma, so it wasn't a shoe But he was he was a critical player on those Hawks teams. Um, well, and know, it was funny when he, when that those Hawks teams were first starting up, they were talking about that contract being a burden and yeah. really just being a, a just terrible thing for that team moving forward. And he ended up being one of their pivotal assets. Yeah. <laughs> well, they best assets out there. And then they ended up getting out of it anyways. But yeah, that's uh, I, I thought he was going to be one of those guys that was going to make it eventually, but not the first year. And I'm kind of surprised he, he made it here, and um, I still think. Now, see again, I didn't see Kevin Lowe, uh, but from what I've heard, I don't know if he is exactly a Hall of Famer. Uh, but 431 points, 84 goals, in one and 1,498 pims uh, in 1,254 games as a defenseman in the 80s and 90s with the Oilers and Rangers. He won six Stanley Cups. Uh, he was there for the entire Oilers dynasty, and then he also won in 94 with the Rangers, seven all-star games, and he won the King Clancy uh, Trophy in 98-90. Uh, so, again, I don't know much about him. I just know he was on those Oilers teams, and I remember him being regarded as more of a physical defenseman and not so much about, uh, like, two-way or offensive or anything. Uh, just sound like a guy that could uh, beat the shit out of people. And uh, looks like he's in the Hall of Fame now, so I guess good for him. I don't know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I got nothing. I really don't know. I mean, he there were so many other people on those uh, those Oilers teams that were, I guess, more important than him. I guess he he is important. I don't know. I don't want to keep. He is important. I just those numbers aren't. It, it's like he, he he was on the Oilers, so now he's in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of right. Like I mean, six Stanley Cups is very impressive. Six is yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of guys on like the Canadians in the '50s or like some other big-ass dynasties that may have gotten in, even though they didn't have a ton of individual numbers, but they were there. So maybe that's what maybe that's what this is. Yeah, we'll go with that. So, Kevin, love you great. Don't don't come beat the show. Uh, Doug Wilson, 827 points in 1,024 games between uh, Chicago and the Sharks. Uh, he won the Norris as a defenseman back in 1981-82 with 85 points, 39 of which were goals and 76 games for the Hawks. Uh, and I got this from Dan Rosen. Dan Rosen wrote uh, the article with this, some of this information in here. Uh, he is the Blackhawks leader among defensemen in goals, 225 assists, 554 points, 779 power play goals, 80 power play points, 355 shorthand, shorthanded goals, 9 and game winning goals, 22. Um, he also ranks 15th among NHL defensemen with 827 points in 1,024 games. Uh, and this was his 24th year of eligibility. So uh, that thing about what was the other thing about uh, 
yeah. Anyway, the other thing I forgot about was from uh, Rosen as well, getting all that credibility out there. Uh, so Wilson, though, um, he was a really good I, – I know he was a really good puck-moving defenseman back in the day. And then, uh, again, this is just for his play, not really his work as uh, a GM of, of the Sharks, but he's been a GM of the Sharks since uh, 2003-04. And I I think it's funny. The only thing I or the only thing I want to add to this was uh, Doug Wilson won the Norris in eighty one eighty two, and I believe the year before him, eighty eighty one was Randy Carlisle. So just two random years in the eighties. It was just two guys that are just like kind of always mocked in front office situations now, or like two of the best defensemen in the league at one point. I just yeah. I don't know why. Just fun. Like if you heard like back in the eighties, uh, Dave Haxtall and uh, I don't know Jeff Blasso were like. The uh, MVPs of the league one year. I'd be like, all right. So, what the fuck was that hockey about? Uh, let's see what else here. Kim St. Pierre, eighth woman and the first female goalie inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, won Goalie of the Year award three times in the CWHL uh, in 2008, 2009, and 2011. Uh, and also from Rosen, because uh, uh, I got some information from Rosen and also Michelle J of the Ice Garden. St. Pierre won three women's Olympic gold medals with Canada and five women's world championships. She had a 1.17 goals against average and 939 save percentage playing for Canada, played boys hockey until she was 18 years old and played on the women's team at McGill University before playing in the Canadian uh, in the CWHL. Uh, and going off the McGill point, uh, Michelle Jay added in college, uh, St. Pierre became the first woman in CIS, Canadian inter-university sport, history to win a men's regular season game while at McGill University. That's a pretty pretty awesome accomplishment by uh, by Kim here. And now she is one of only eight women in the uh, NHL Hall of Fame. Uh, and then last but not least is Ken Holland, GM of, uh, well, currently the Oilers, but gets in for uh, being GM of the Detroit Red Wings from 97-98 to 2018-19. Three Stanley Cups in that time, one in 98, 2002, and 2008. Another trip to the Cup in 2009, and then he also won four President's Trophies in 2002, 2004, 06, and 08. Was a scout with the Red Wings starting in the 80s, so he was there when the Russian Five started coming over and everything with that. And also, he was the assistant GM when they won in 97. Uh, also, Rosen added, uh, while he was GM in Detroit, they won more combined regular season and playoff games than any team in the NHL with 1,044. He also ranks fifth in NHL history with 962 regular season wins as a GM. So I guess yeah, he can't really knock Holland's, uh, I guess, resume. Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a I mean, run. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good run. And I know you don't see a, a lot of GMs go on 20-year runs, especially building rosters like those, those Red Wings had. Like for years, yeah. the Red Wings were unbelievable, and then they just kind of... Like you think about Paul Holmgren and his, uh, you know, his run where it starts off pretty brilliantly and ends just horrifically. Yeah. Uh, if you stretch that out over twenty years, you get Ken Holland. Yeah, that might be yeah, yeah. And I think and comes. Like, <laughs> I think like looking at Holland for me, I, I think him being there as a scout early on too helps his case because you know if he's coming in the second cup of back-to-back cups that's not exactly the best look but i guess if he was in the building the whole time and kind of helped construct it at all and then just having to be the gm and like one at all i think that's a pretty big i think he, uh, he, he, nobody should be dunking on ken howell too much i guess 
Yes. He probably got dunked on a bunch this week because he's, he's Ken Holland, but I, I guess he's all right. Yeah. I mean, but, he's bad now, but again, for for years, those yeah, were pretty... great Red Wings teams, and they were consistent. Like, every year they were a powerhouse in the team in the league. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, they were they were the team for a while. So, uh, But let's talk about some snubs. And uh, we're going to talk about the biggest snub related to me and you, Steve, because uh, it shows about us. And uh, and Ryan Quigley of uh, the, the site wrote about it uh, today. Rob Brindamore uh, was snubbed again. And I Boo! Rob the Bob! I think, so looking at, I have to look deeper at his numbers all around, but pretty much I think if he wants a real chance of getting into the hall, I think he needs to win a Stanley Cup as a coach. Because then... Going through his numbers, let's go through his numbers real quick. 1,184 points, 452 of which were goals, and 1,484 games with the Blues, Flyers, and Hurricanes. Won a cup as a captain of Carolina in 2006 and won Selkies in 05, 06, 06, 07. Also had 18 points, 12 of which were goals, and 25 games during the 2006 Cup run. I want to talk about stat lines real quick. Um, because his ice time, you know, when they talk about work ethic, work ethic and everything, it's it's they come through right here in the numbers. So 0506, first year one selfie, 70 points, 31, 31 goals in 78 games, averaging 24-18 time on tight, average uh, time on ice. So that's for a forward, 24-18. Uh since the full season lockout, that stat line, 24-18 for Brendan Moore in 0506. Uh, St. Louis averaged 24-17 in 07-08, and then um, averaged 24-09 in 06-07. Those, those are the only three times a forward has posted an average of 24 minutes or more uh, in a season of ice time. So he was just playing nonstop that year that won the Cup. <laughs> he was out there for almost half the game, which is saying something for a defenseman. Like, that's all we always make a big deal about that for a defenseman. And then, I mean, to do it as a forward is just kind of fucking nuts and i was looking at some of his other like, especially like a, a two way forward a guy who's scoring goals yeah and yeah he's just being be... a shutdown defensive center it's unbelievable exactly yeah he's just gonna he's busting ass everywhere there's no That's why there's he had no to be in easy. such good shape yeah <laughs> i think he had there was one postseason run with the flyers where they only had five or six games and he played over 25 minutes so i have do good work i mean uh so five 30 goal seasons four 25 goal seasons and three 20 goal seasons 97 points, uh, 35 goals, 62 assists, and 84 games for the Flyers back in 93-94. was a long season, but um, I, I really think it comes down to him uh, winning as a coach, one as a player, one as a captain as a player. Uh, probably he's got to be one of the most, if not the most significant voices in like Hurricanes franchise history. He's got to be moving up there if he won the Cup. Now he's the head coach of this team, and it feels like they're going to be moving and at least get some chances at uh, the you know not contenders, I guess, right now. But they have some swings to win the cup here over the next couple of years. Um, so if you have two Selkies, win the cup as captain, and then win the cup as a head coach, I I feel like that could that should help your case a lot. Uh, the lack, I guess, of like lengthy. Production like again, I had all those thirty goal seasons, all those forty goal seasons, uh, and all the uh, individual awards. Uh, maybe a couple other individual awards outside of Selkie, I think would help him a lot. But I think for him to actually get in, I think he's got to win at least one with the Hurricane. If he wins a couple coaches, or if he wins a couple cups as a head coach of the 
maybe that's how it gets in. But then it comes down to um, having Peter Morazic as your goalie. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, that's a lot of put. That's a lot of pressure put on a guy that you know doesn't even know where the net is half the time. But maybe, uh, maybe he'll do it. Maybe he'll rob the bot out. He'll get a. I want. I want to see Rob get in. I mean, I just don't know. You know, it's the old uh, discussion of a uh, Hall of Fame against Hall of Really Good, but Bot is uh, the Bot is uh, he's pretty fucking good. He was good, and he still is a pretty decent coach. So I think he, uh, I think he should get. I don't know if he will, though, unfortunately, especially if they end up not being able to pull one out here in the next couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what are your, uh, what are we thinking about uh, Roderick and Patrick here, Steve? I mean, I'm again. I'm biased. I think he yeah, should biased. be in there. I, you know, I think he was a, a great leader, uh, great two way player, and really a heart and soul of a lot of the teams he was on, if not all the teams he was on. So he's he's a guy I think is worthy. And I really would have thought this would be a good year to get in, but Hossa got right in. Yeah, Hossa, and yeah. I can't argue. I can't argue five. with Marion Hossa because he's he's a great player, and he really was a a an underrated defensive winger so it's a yeah. defensive player overall so yeah I, I can't complain too much and rod the bot is unfortunately one of those borderline guys and that's kind of where he belongs and you can make arguments both ways but i would like to see him get in because i i thought he was a great player yeah no i, I thought he was a great player too and i i feel like his work in carolina all around should really strengthen his case because he is again like I feel like he's got to be one of the more important figures for that franchise. And I mean, you know, arguments going to be made for Shane Doan in the near future being going in because he was like Mr. Coyote. So I'm not saying Burnham Moore is that, but he's done a lot for that franchise, I guess. So. And speaking of doing stuff for franchises, uh, we're hoping that one former Sabres coach will start doing stuff for the Devils sometime soon. Uh, Steve, oh, Steve, great. I think that was that was that was, a, that, was an, I, that was a pretty good one, but I, I, I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for your grade there. Anyway, uh, from Elliot Freeman earlier this week, uh, quote: "It has previously been reported that New Jersey coaching candidates were Elaine Nazardine, Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, John Stevens, and a mystery candidate." Just name Hearing the entire that, league. Just name every unemployed guy who's ever worked <laughs> in the NHL at this point. Jesus. Hearing that, that New York Rangers assistant Lindy Ruff. Uh, head coach in Buffalo back in 97, 2013, and Dallas 2013-17 um, is, is the mystery candidate. So there you go. So let's talk about Lindy Ruff. Let's make fun of Lindy Ruff and, uh, as is uh, a traditional in this podcast, make fun of uh, Brett Hull's goal in the Stanley Cup Finals. So uh, Brett, Lindy Ruff, 736, 554, 78, and 125 wins, losses, ties, overtime losses in 19 seasons between Buffalo and Dallas. 571, 432, 78, 84 for Buffalo. Uh, didn't win a postseason series with them for the last six years there. Won 10 playoff series in 15 seasons. Uh, and they went to the Cup in 99. And that was the only time they uh, went the whole time he was there. When he was in Dallas, he went 165, 122, and 41 from 2013 14 to 2016 17 made two trips to the postseason won one playoff series against the wild back in 2016 uh but uh yeah please hire lindy ruff for the love of god this is i didn't even think this option was going to win the table this is the guy i want the most 
<laughs> like Laviolette, I would be the Devils would still not really be a threat, but they might have a decent offense somehow, and then that would be annoying to play against. And like maybe they would push for a playoff spot by just being like like Taylor Hall and three other people carry them offensively, but they just gave up like eight goals a game. John Stevens seems like an all right coach, but I don't think he moved the needle a lot. Yeah, he's a nice dad, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, Lindy Ruff is one of those guys, I never know how to feel about him. He has been around the league for what feels like 800 years, and he's always been just fine, right? Like, he's not really inspiring, he's not really, like, it's not, he's not somebody like Randy Carlisle who sends shivers down your spine when you think about the possibility of him coaching your team. But he's just fine. He's the most meh possible NHL coach. <laughs> yeah, he's very much like not. I my whole thing is uh, I would have liked to have seen him without like I don't know. a couple of those runs in Buffalo was a lot of hashik. Uh, so I think those were probably some of the better Sabres teams. I mean, they were good in 0607, but since that they haven't they didn't do anything in the postseason. Like that was that was the last time they won a series in the postseason. So. And the thing about Ruff is I've I've seen opinions all over the place with this potential move where I've seen people going like like I saw responses from Rangers fans that ranged from like, oh, no, don't take him to like, oh, no, don't take him. <laughs> yeah. Waka, and again, no stop. Wait, like it's people, yeah. people both, you know, like some people just couldn't wait to kick him out the door. And some people are like, oh, this is actually a good hire for the Devils. And it's that's the thing about Lindy Ruff being this middle of the road guy is he doesn't really often inspire one way or the other. Yeah. Is he good? Yeah, I actually don't even know at this point. I, I've been talking about him. I can picture him. I don't actually know if he's good. I don't think he is. I mean, again, it's the same kind of thing we were trying to picture, but like, I'm trying to think of like the Flyers just played the Sabres a lot back in the day it wasn't like uh it wasn't like these Sabres teams really taking anybody over and then when yeah when he was in Dallas they didn't really do a ton there either and he was with Dallas this season like every season was like oh Dallas is bringing in people looks like they won another offseason like he was the guy that was there and it never materialized anything so if you want to do that with the Devils, who literally just did that entire thing this year, where they were like, uh-oh, they got all the good players in the offseason, here come the Devils. Like, I'll let Lindy Ruffy in charge of that for a couple seasons. I don't know. I'll take it. I'm fine with the... I, I, I'm, I like Lindy. I like the idea of Lindy Ruff or John Stevens. Those two are the thing. I think those would be... I don't know. To me, they would be the funniest. They were uh, head coach of the, uh, of the Devils. One man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think out of those options. I mean, Randy Carlisle's still out there. Dan Bilesma still out there. All the, <laughs> the best options. Mike Johnston, Dave Haxtell, uh, Jack Capuano. I Is Jack Capuano the guy who used to coach the, the Islanders and just like had that the is, weirdest hair? That is the guy that used to. He just had like weird, like giant black hair and it always cracked me up. He just did not yeah. look professional. He, he, he looked had, like a guy who won a contest. Yeah, uh, no, he looked, yeah, he did not look, first of all, he didn't look like a good coach, man, like he wasn't, but he really did just look, that, uh, the accent, the hair, like all of it just checked off a lot of boxes for, like, just flustered head coach. So, and I think he's an assistant, Panthers? No, Panthers, I, I think he was with the Senators too for a bit. 
I don't know. Fucking out. But that would be the ideal. Yeah, there's, we'll never know. We'll die now. There's no, we Um, have no means of looking this information up. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, By the way, now that uh, before we dip into the uh, around the lake, took a glance at my phone and I knew somebody else came up with the idea for the uh, three games to see in person uh, along with Topher John and Dan Fisher. Uh, My bad. We're sorry. Uh, We see it now. You tweeted at you tweeted at us uh, last month, over a month ago. We had to uh, get on that idea, and we finally got out. So Dan Fisher at Dan Fisher nine two four. Thank you for the idea. Thank you for listening, and thank you for tweeting at us. Thank so you, thank you, you, thank you, Dan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, next re- next week's fuck, uh, we're going to power rank the uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple uh, team names and logos. And everything. So uh, let's do the uh, what's up? <laughs> I nothing. Wait, nothing. Jay, where's a uh, did you look up Capuano? I'm going to do that real quick. Yeah. Oh, you actually wanted me to do that? Oh, I'm actually going to do it because now all I All right, all right. I'll just hum the Guts theme until you get that all determined. And da 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 so he Guts. was, all right, are you ready to be annoyed? He was with the Panthers in 17, 18, 18, 19, and then he was with the Senators this year. So, uh. Man, what yeah. a track record. I want him as Devil's Coach. <laughs> That's what I want. After... That's after he did everything he did with the um, with the Islanders. So he's good. He's good. Good coach. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Um, around the league. Get the hell out of here. Around the league. Around the league. All right. Hey, brother. Uh, Mark- around the league. <laughs> Barney Rat announced his retirement this week. Five hundred and forty-five points in eight hundred and eighty-one games for the Preds, Caps, and Coyotes from two thousand one. 2002 to 2014-15, and of course, never forget the Philip Forsberg trade. Uh, what Chris a Thornmore. bad trade, and RIPD, the digital rat. Trade. What a terrible trade, and also it ended up working out. <laughs> the digital rat. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't think the Cavs fucking care. They won't take the credit, but I like the digital rat. Uh, Chris Thorborn also announced his retirement this week, but nobody cares as much. 134 points at 968 pins. In 801 games with the Sabres, Pens, Thrashers, Jets, and Blues from 2005 06 to 2018 19. Uh, is leaving the Canucks organization for Avant Garde Omsk and KHL next season. Had 67 points in 53 games with Utica this season. Uh, played in one Vancouver game, one Canucks game back in 2018 19. And that was his last season in the NHL. Uh, the Ducks promoted Martin Madden. Assistant GM. He had been in a high director of amateur scouting since 2008 2009. And then, last but not least, and naturally, relation to around the league, uh, NHL draft lottery will take place on uh, Friday night at 8 p.m. This is the first of possibly two phases for the NHL draft. Phase one, if we all remember correctly, uh, was the seven teams that. Aren't going to be uh, included to the uh, playoff Palooza uh, hockey tournament event. Sharks, Kings, Ducks, Senators, Red Wings, Sabres, and Devils. Uh, they will go through the usual uh, draft setup. Top three picks will be selected. If one of the top three selections are not one of these seven teams, then they'll figure out who the eight teams, eight losers are on the qualifying round. Do the whole lottery with them to see who gets to pick for the 
remaining spots. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of uh, confusion. It's a, it's just exciting, Steve. I mean, I fell asleep while you know even hearing it's, the description. I of am it, so it's, it sounds like up, fun. I am screaming. I am just shaking people left and right. I can't fucking contain my excitement. I mean, listen up, NHL draft this Friday, eight p.m. Be there or be square. <laughs> You know what would really make this a better event is if they had the Pennsylvania Lottery music. You know, the one that goes, the Pennsylvania Lottery, the NHL Draft Lottery. That, you know, get like a jazzy host, like it's a 1960s variety show. I think what they should do instead of the lottery. So first of all, you're right. Yes, of course. That should be the, the intro. What I think they should do instead of the draft lottery is like a draft, like a three-legged race. So like every team, every team's coach and GM, like teams that aren't in, they have to do a three-legged race of like 50 yards and whoever, like just do the rankings based on that. I like it. it Yeah. So then like. I was thinking uh, rock, paper, scissors, but I like yours better. Rock, paper, scissors, but they all do it at once. So then it gets really confusing and it's not clear who wins. And then that, I just want comedic ways to muddy up the wall like make things kind of confusing and get like just make this whole draft process even worse i just want the league to just like kind of keep like adding a second phase to a draft lottery to make it hilarious like keep up in the ante like let, let, let's add a third phase let's keep saying the guy that's supposed to go first overall somebody else besides lafreniere like say it's somebody else just completely or like have it's every elite. team's <laughs> worst players participate in a shootout against each other <laughs> Regardless of position. So, like, the backup goalie and, like, the war- – like, and that's the order you have to go in. Like, you have to start <laughs> with the worst players and go from there. Dunk contest on the ice? Two oh, minutes. I like it. Like, Pistol Pete on Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe a little more protection than Pistol Pete had for that dunk. But, uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Perfect. That's a, yeah, we'll go with that. Perfection. That fucking song. Uh, Pennsylvania uh, Lottery. I was talking about the, uh, um, the, uh, the song that they kept playing when they were walking out on the ice in Parks and Rec. Oh, it was, um, oh, God, was it You're Simply the Best? No, it was no. another, like, cliche 80s song. Oh, oh no, 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 uh, was it Gloria Stefan? No. I'm gonna have to look You love up. your seat! Yeah, something like that. You look that up. I have a quick no, shout out I want to give. And, okay. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, you, you look up the song. I have a quick shout out to MCarry123 who uh, slid into the DMs with a terrifying video of uh, a seagull eating a gigantic rat. Terrifying video. <laughs> and he said, our friend. And I said, no, it's it's not our friend. It's uh, R.I.P.D. our friend's uncle, our uncle, the rat. So our uncle, the rat, is uh, he, he's gone. That seagull. Ate him oh, up. Okay. I repeat it. I eat uh, your I rat. I eat it up. <laughs> I eat your rat. I can't. Oh, God. I can't find the. Uh, what is the name of the song? Yeah, I don't know. It's a. It's just. I think it's just a cliche song. Oh, no, it is. Gloria Stefan. Get on your feet. There you go. Get on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. So all those those great heads out there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Great bit. Yes. All right. Well, 
I think we've got all the Parks and Rec references we need for this episode, and uh, there's never quite enough, but, uh, no, you know. Enough. Yeah, Crazy Ira and the Douche will be back with, with more next week. But, uh, <laughs> folks, thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback for us, the best place is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. You can reach Craig at Sports Are Bad. Sports Are Bad. Uh, I should have a Limblom article out today, tomorrow, when you're listening. Not much. It's just his five best goals. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about his numbers from this year. And then next week, I should be rolling out the uh, best goal against every franchise. And then we're also going to start looking at some draft stuff. And want to start looking at um, how goals for the Flyers were created this year. Uh, how goals are made. How, and now I have the technology to go back and, you know, play development, not putting the puck in the back of the net, smart guy. Smart ass. Is that what Craig's you're going to teach you all about the hockey birds and the bees this week. <laughs> yes, I should. A, a stick and a puck get together, kids. I should, I'm thinking I should pivot my uh, brand completely and I should go directly into the nine to five hard ass like hockey coach. Like, uh, like each article I post on BSH will just be called Craig's Corner and it's just me in a suit, like my arms crossed, staring at the, like the screen, like, yeah, let's talk about hockey. And I'm into I'm it. About, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> getting pucks deep and, you know, shit like that. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I had a couple weeks there where, uh, I don't know. Was, I mean, you know, but whatever. I got the, I got some things to write about right now, so I'm good. You yeah. got that stuff to write. You got the hockey to write. All right. Well, Craig's writing. Craig's got stuff. He's at Sports or Bad. I can be reached at Fly Purpley or at Esteban. But for your hockey purposes, make it Fly Purpley. Follow BSH Radio. Follow Broad Street Hockey. That's all we got. Thank you again for listening. Remember, wear a mask. Social distance. Blah blah blah. COVID is lurking <laughs> in the corner. You know the gist. You better by this point. In the words of the great Gene Hart, until next time, good night and good hockey. Hello, everybody. This is Fly Purbly. It is a podcast about hockey, mostly the Flyers, but also other hockey things, like other hockey teams that play the sport of hockey. Steve, but not Steve Hartnell and Craig, but not Craig Ruby. No, this isn't all those hockey guys. These are the guys who watch the hockey sport. Yeah!